funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Silver Screen Video. My name is Jacob. I'm here with my co-host Jonathan. What's up, John? Not much, Jacob. Just uh, still surviving, as you are as well, since you're speaking to us. Yeah, once again, folks, we are coming to you from the hot spots of the coronavirus pandemic. I'm up here in the Bronx in a uh, deserted, um, and I think it's fair for to say devastated New York City, and you're out in Washington where the death toll is uh, pretty high. Yeah, I'll tell you um, two things. One, I was looking at some public, like you publicly viewed cameras of like street cameras in New York, and it's eerie to see the street so open. Mm, but right. it is cool. Um, uh, my buddy sent them to me because he was like, this would be a great time to be like an urban photographer. Right. Because like you would have all the streets to yourself. Um, yeah. The other thing is apparently right down the street, uh, from my gym that's obviously currently closed, uh, we just made national news because they found like 23 cases in this building. So that was strange. Jesus and like this, uh, this, this uh, health center. Yeah, I think they found 23 or 28 cases, one of the two. Jesus. So wait, um, so you're close to that place? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm probably about four miles from it, but it's right down the road from my gym. Oh my God, dude. I had no idea. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, well, it, it got to our county two weeks ago and like everyone's kind of like, ah, it's no big deal. We only had like four cases, but then this happened, shot up our cases. So I'm sure when they start having more tests here, our numbers are going to skyrocket as well. Holy shit. Well, I don't have any room to talk because I'm like, I'm probably four miles away from the fucking tent city hospital. They're building in the convention center. So it's uh, it's in times folks, but as usual, you have your, uh, your loyal video store clerks here at Silver Screen Video to help you get through the uh, the pandemic and uh, the resulting um, I don't know nuclear apocalypse that is gonna gonna be in effect uh, when this is all over. So uh, we're here for you. All right. So today we uh, not to uh, not to give uh, not to put too grim of a pallor on this episode, but today we are going to talk. Uh, we got a little bit of a grab bag for you. This is uh, this is silver screen video after dark, where we're chilling out, where we're popping out the lazy boys and reclining a little bit. Got a couple of beers and we're just shooting the shit uh, because the whole town is shut down and uh, the silver screen video is the only thing open. So today we're going to talk about uh, movie theaters. We're going to talk about what what is going to be the result of this. What is the world going to look like? What is um, what is the coronavirus's effect on uh, the world of cinema that we all know and love? And then later on, we're going to talk a little bit about what we are watching to help us get through this, maybe give you guys some suggestions. And then we're also going to do a new segment. Uh, it's going to be an actor spotlight uh, where we're going to talk briefly about, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes or so about uh, the career of a specific actor um, who we are both particularly interested in. Today, we're going to be talking about Oscar Isaac. So that's going to be coming up a little bit later. 
but yeah, so so right now we're going to talk about uh, talk about movie theaters a little bit. So John, why don't you uh, why don't you kick us off? And uh, I know you you go to the movies quite a bit, right? I do, and I will say obligatory uh, joke here. I won't be drinking a Corona for my beer selection. Okay, so that was in case you're keeping track at home. That was a pun on coronavirus and Jonathan was referring to Corona, the Mexican beer. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to make sure everybody, go. everybody got that, uh, thunderously successful joke there. Wow. Now you've ruined it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, did you really, think, did it was, you really think you had gold there? I think it was dead on arrival. Like the entire time you were talking, I was thinking I probably shouldn't make that joke. It probably is going to go poorly. Uh, but hey, here we are. Silver screen video, guys. We're drinking some beers. We're in the recliner. We can just let our hair down. Hell yeah. Silver screen after um, dark, baby. Yeah. So uh, no, man. So seriously, movie theaters. I do go to the movies a lot. I have, um, you know, I've, whenever they came out with the movie pass, the original one a couple of years ago, I was ecstatic. Yeah. All right, I baby. bought it immediately. Um, yeah. So I was paying 50 bucks a month originally for unlimited. Then they started running the special for 20 bucks a month. Got that too. Then they went away. I've gone through it all, man. I've gone through um, Cinna. I can't remember the Cinna something. It was a Turkish company. It's a Cinna, Cinerama. No, that's a, that's a theater chain. Anyway, there's another uh, company. So then they went under as well. So I was in limbo, but then AMC started it. Then Regal started it. I, I ended with Regal because they're awesome. They're my favorite uh, mainstream theater chain. So I do go to the movies a lot and, and I've, and I've gone through all that. And, um, I will tell you going to any movie, an unlimited amount of times, it has not demeaned the process for me at all. I still, even if the movie's bad, I mean, with the movie pass, you can obviously be a little relaxed of, well, you could relax a little with what you're going to see, but I still love going to the theater. I love the idea, the trip, the chairs, everything about it. So the idea of it going away bothers me. It bothers me a lot. I've actually, and I don't mean to make this a bigger deal than all the other horrendous stuff going on, but this is a movie podcast. So we're going to talk about what's, what's related to that. Sure. So, I mean, it, it is a big deal. Movie theaters going away. It does bother me. So I figured maybe, uh, we could kind of talk about a little of what the theater means to us. Like, I don't know if you still feel the same way about theaters. I don't know if you ever felt as strongly as I did about them, but if you just want to go into like your history a little bit and like, I don't even know if you want, if you care, if they, if they stick around, we haven't really talked about that off pod. So I'm kind of curious to hear. Well, I'll tell you this. I, um, back when I was discovering, you know, movies when I was in high school, it was, you know, it was all a, uh, you know, DVD, the old Netflix DVD plan. Um, and, uh, but I did, you know, I, I always went to the movies and, uh, you know, watched a lot of movies, but uh, I got really kind of obsessive when it came to when it came to the theater and started uh, kind of romanticizing it after I kind of had my little film education in high school and, uh, you know, would go see the latest new releases. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of repertory screening. There wasn't a lot of, you know, getting to see older stuff or, or, or non first run uh, movies in where we're both from in Pensacola. When there was, I, I definitely jumped at the chance, you know, our, our namesake, the silver screen theater, uh, back behind university mall in Pensacola. Yet that place used to do, you know, and I think I talked about this in the last episode, Friday and Saturday, midnight movies, 
saw Taxi Driver there, saw a few other classics there. And uh, then they would also do these in-theater events where it would be like Turner Classic Movies, like the 40th anniversary of like Jaws or whatever. And, you know, you go and you, you watch the movie in the theater there. But eventually I stopped kind of romanticizing it and I kind of changed with the times. You know, the more movies that became available on streaming and the <laughs> the more into disrepair that the local theaters in Pensacola fell into. Uh, because they really started to get uh, really, really shitty after a while. And um, I mean, fucked up screens and, you know, they would stop taking tickets at the ticket booths and would just start taking tickets at the concession stand, which like sounds like a little thing, but it's like, man, if I'm like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It, It started like they started taking things away that were like integral parts of the movie going experience. And so finally I was just like, fuck it. And I, you know, mostly opted to stay home. And um, I got to the point where even if there was some kind of like fathom event where they were showing like to kill a mockingbird, I'd be like, fuck it. I can just stay home and watch it on a, on a better screen and have a quieter experience or whatever. So I kind of, yeah, really fell out of love with um, movie theaters, but then I moved to New York and in New York, I mean, movie theaters are a completely different thing. I mean, obviously they have, you know, a lot of first run, um, you know, movie theaters up here, AMC and Regal and all that shit. But they also have a lot, a lot, a lot of repertory screening up here. And there's a place called the IFC Center, uh, which is the independent film channel. Uh, I don't know if they still own it or if maybe the name is just stuck or whatever, but it's um, there's that. And then there's. Uh, film forum there's anthology film archives there's an amazing theater called the metrograph and there's a lot of these theaters that are completely dedicated to doing repertory screenings uh, the museum of modern art they show movies there and it's uh it's a cinephile's dream they they usually show um uh, usually show everything on 35 millimeter film uh rarely do they do uh, digital prints it's normally actual film prints that they're showing on actual projectors that are you know nice and beautiful and everything and uh usually you know if you go see say you know alexander mckendrick's the sweet smell of success on a thursday night you know you'll have a reasonably full theater full of people who are you know interested in the same type of movies that you are and that kind of reawakened my love affair with the movie theater because it, it was a completely different experience than just seeing first-run movies at really shitty theaters. I even went to go see first-run movies more often up here too because just the theaters were better quality. They were well uh, taken care of and that sort of thing. But of course, the tickets are exorbitantly expensive up here. But yeah, and so I kind of fell back in love with them. And that's what uh, that's what makes this particularly difficult during this time is the fact that you know, it is, uh, the profit margin is slim for these businesses. And it's the kind of business where you have to own a lot of chains in order to really turn a profit. And so it's already kind of a precarious business as it is. So the Regal and AMC are going to have their difficulties, but these, these smaller repertory theaters are really going to have their difficulties. Most of them are run by nonprofit organizations. They only have a handful of employees and, you know, so on and so forth. And it's, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't see a lot of these, uh, these smaller theaters making it out of this whole thing, especially as we stretch into the summer. And I mean, how are they going to afford to pay, continue paying their rent and, 
and so on and so forth. It's really kind of a bleak, uh, a bleak proposition, to be honest with you. But yeah, that's that's kind of my experience with the theater. Well, let me ask you this. What is the first movie you saw in theaters? First movie I saw in theaters, I was a little bit older, I think, than most people go to the movie theaters because I grew up religious. And uh, there was some people in our kind of religious environment who um, believed that going to the movie theater was a sin. And uh, I don't know, eventually, I guess it was my dad was like fine with it or whatever. And so uh, we actually the first movie that I ever saw in theaters was uh, Toy Story in 1995. I was eight years old and uh, I, I, had, I was on vacation. I I'd lived in Florida, but I went up to Kentucky because that's where all my family was. And um, <laughs> actually went on a on a little date uh, on my first my first movie theater outing. It was me and my cousin. Uh, a date with your cousin no, no, no. in Kentucky? <laughs> <laughs> no, I should clarify. I should clarify. I was on a date. I was eight years old, but it was not with my cousin. Okay. No, there was <laughs> no there was a a girl that who I had went to school with and she was like my little girlfriend in school or I wanted her to be my girlfriend I don't know and her name was Ashley Gabbard Ashley if you're out there hit me up our parents sort of like arranged this little date uh for us to go on Rachel my cousin was there as kind of like a I don't know third wheel but of course my mom was there I was eight years old you know for fuck's sake and uh, so we <laughs> oh, you didn't make out during the movie, did you? No, we were eight years old. Stop it. I'm just making sure. And so so we're, we went and saw Toy Story in the movie theater. Now, get this. Toy Story was hyped at the time. You know what I mean? It was like it was hyped in the same way that like the Little Mermaid was or whatever. Like they were, you know, they would sell like, you know, toys at McDonald's to hype you up. For, I mean, it was it was really anticipated. So what I had done, I had went to like Walmart. And I'd bought a necklace, you know, those, um, those, uh, friendship necklaces that are like best friends and it'll be like a heart and it breaks in half. And like one friend takes one half and the other friend takes the other, you know? Oh yeah. 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 And well, this one was a heart, right? And on either side of it was, uh, Woody was on one side and Bo Peep was on the other from Toy Story. And so I gave Ashley Gabbard <laughs> the uh, the little Bo Peep uh, section. Of course, I kept the Woody section. And uh, I don't know, that was like our little memento or whatever, because I, was, of course, was on vacation. I had to go back to Florida where I lived. And uh, yeah, that's it. That was- so you were a little baller when you were eight, buying buying jewelry and everything. Well, I t- yeah, <laughs> I bought my I bought my hoe a chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, (laughs) uh, but also, uh, I went home after that and I thought she was my girlfriend because of course, why not? I gave her a fucking necklace. You better be my girlfriend, you know? And so I went home and I wrote her a letter. I was just apparently stuck on her. I wrote her a letter, you know, saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. I love toy story. Do you love toy story? Et cetera, et cetera. Whatever. I don't know what I wrote her. Never heard from her again. And that's the end of the story. (laughs) Okay, dude. So, so if this is like a family guy moment or something, what if like she literally has the letter framed and like, she still has the necklace to this day and like her return letter never got back to you and like something happened. That would be pretty awesome. It'd be amazing. It'd be like a lifetime movie or something. Yeah. 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 It'd be pretty awesome. So Uh, Ashley, if you're listening, which you're probably not, you probably like died of a meth overdose or something. 
Wow, that's cold. <laughs> Sorry, it's Kentucky. You know, I grew up uh, <laughs> I grew up in a coal mining town, you know. But uh but yeah, that was my first theater experience. It's uh yeah, yeah, I don't know. Toy Story though. So so you went and saw your first movie when you were 8? Yes, yeah. Interesting because I too was raised religious. And uh, I was going to turn eight the year I went to see my first movie. So I think I was seven at the time. Okay. And it was The Lion King. Oh, hell yeah. Now, okay, dude. So for some reason, my dad decides to take us all to Dothan, Alabama, because I live in a, I grew up in a very small town in Alabama called Eufaula. If you wanted to do anything, you drove an hour. So we all drove to Dothan to watch The Lion King. And I will never, I mean, I don't remember shit from when I was a kid, but I will never forget this. I still love this movie, but I remember that being my first real experience in the theater and it blew my fucking mind. I was like, this is the greatest thing to have ever happened to humanity. (laughs) And, and it's crazy because you flash forward a few years and the next movie I saw, I did not go to the theater again until a few years later. And I got to see dragon heart. Oh, wow. That's a random. uh, I fucking, yeah, dude, I love that movie to this day. I don't know why I saw the trailer and I was like, I got to fucking see this movie. Like, I didn't know who Dennis Quaid was. I didn't know who Sean Connery was. I didn't know shit, but I was like, I got to see this movie. So, uh, so my brother surprised me and took me to see it. He lied, like they lied and said I was going to go like go do something fucking boring like shopping. So we went and saw Dragonheart. And that was when I feel like I really fell in love and I was like able to go back and like, cause you know, when you're eight, you don't have control over shit. Right. Um, but when you're older, you know, obviously you can go back more. So that's when I really felt like I fell in love with the theater and it really has not gone away. The theater, uh, as many movie lovers have said, this is far from original, but I'll say it anyway. The theater really is like my church. It is, um, arguably my favorite place to be on the planet. Wow. So the idea of it going away does bother me because even if you're seeing a bad movie there's just something about it like and, and and let's ignore the bad movie and let's just like kind of go into why they're awesome which is seeing a movie with a crowd when the entire crowd is into it like i remember going to see endgame and like love or hate marvel endgame was a huge phenomenon it was like the star wars of our generation sure. like old school 1977 star wars yeah. and uh and, and I could not imagine seeing that on my TV at home. Like it was a packed crowd. There was probably 300 people in the theater and the energy was electric. Every moment that paid you off for the last decade, it was felt in the audience. Like, and, and like I said, love or hate Marvel, there's something about that moment that was just awesome and epic. And like, I could not imagine experiencing that in my living room watching it by myself or hell, even watching it with a few friends, you're not going to get the same feeling. So I don't know how you I don't know how you view that. Maybe I'm romanticizing it a bit more because I love them more. But that's what I think of. I think of that electric experience. I think of viewing it in that dark room with the chairs and the big screen and everything. Like I don't see how people can think like I have a big TV. It doesn't even come close to touching the theater experience. Like none of it does. Okay, I'll tell you this. I I I I, I definitely do you know, love going to the movie theater now. Um, or at least since I moved to New York and it's sort of like rekindled my love affair there. I agree with you a hundred percent. There is something different about obviously seeing it on a big screen and, you know, sound and everything, but there is something powerful about seeing it, you know, with a group of strangers, you know, that there is something romantic about it. 
um, something achingly romantic. Uh, but a couple things. These are, you know, this we're talking personal reflections here. This is not exact. I'm not trying to be authoritative on, on the subject. But ever since the uh, shooting in Colorado, I cannot walk into a movie theater, especially a you know a, a big one like an AMC, like a multiplex, like AMC or Regal or whatever. I can't walk into one without thinking about that, and I don't know. I don't know if that's. I, I don't think it's a thing that's unique to me because I've I've talked with other people who have the same experience, even people who love movies, and it's. Uh, I don't know, man. It's it, it, it's something that's always in the back of my head. If I'm at like a if I'm at a multiplex, if I'm if I'm seeing a blockbuster, it's something I'm always. Not to say that I'm like it, it scares me out of going. Like I never like sit at home and think, well, somebody might shoot up that movie theater, so I better not go. Like it's not it's not that powerful, but it's sort of a low a low hum of anxiety that I feel whenever I'm kind of like in a, not necessarily a public place, but a public place that is you know, like enclosed and, and, you know, I, I went and saw Joker and we've talked about this on the podcast. I loved the Joker. I thought it was great. And spoiler, if you haven't seen it, um, you should watch it, but there's a, uh, a killing at the, at the climax of the movie. And during the movie in the theater that I was in, there was these two guys who before the movie, there's two employees who before the movie started, um, we're kind of like just standing in the aisle and, and like kind of in the middle of the aisle, just looking these two employees. They were just kind of like, you could tell they were just kind of canvassing the audience. And before the movie started, I noticed they were playing paper, rock, scissors. And I was like, that's weird. You know, and they, they just did it once. And one of them won and it was kind of like, yeah, you know. So then in the middle of the movie, uh, one of them came back in. I, I, it was dark. I really couldn't see, but I assume it was the one who lost. And he came into the theater and stood there at the exact same spot uh, during this killing and the, the, the implication was clear. The implication was I'm going to go and make sure that nothing bad happens during this, this scene, because I mean, it's hard to remember the Joker discourse at this point in time now, but you know, people thought that it was going to inspire like a killing or whatever. And, and I don't know. I just, uh, it's a low grade anxiety that I feel whenever I'm in a movie theater, because I remember when the dark Knight returns, it was dark Knight returns, right? Yeah. It was dark Knight returns came out and I went and saw the movie and enjoyed it and was like, Oh man, it's so much fun. And then coming home to that news that like somebody had just like parked their car right outside one of those front exits in movie theaters and just went out and got a fucking machine gun or whatever the fuck this guy had. Oh, were you talking about the 2008 yeah, yeah, yeah. shooting? Yeah, that was the Dark Knight because that's why everyone was so concerned because of the Joker aspect. Was it the Dark Knight? Are you sure it wasn't Dark Knight Returns? Yeah. Let's see. Hold on. I'm looking this up because I don't think. Well, I'll tell you while you're looking it up. What's what's funny is about no, 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 the Dark Knight. No, it, was in general reboot. it was Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, the what, yeah, the, the James Holmes. Yeah, because I remember it because nobody had seen the movie yet. So it was, he wasn't. They were they when, they when they were talking about the Joker inspired shootings or whatever, they were talking about him being inspired by the previous movie to come to the dude. I think I've been Mandela affected. <laughs> That's funny. I was, I'm serious, I was man. Talking about the Mandela effect earlier. Yeah, dude. My wife and I talk about that all the time. I'm serious. Like, I was like sitting here with full certainty that it was the dark night. That is fucking weird. 
Uh, so, uh, scratch that. I am wrong. That is weird and kind of creepy that I was like, so sure of it. I think it was uh, the, jo- I think it was so the it Joker was the- connection was really strong, but it, but the, the reason people had made the Joker connection is because he was in the previous movie and this was opening. Night okay. Night okay. Rises, so nobody had seen it yet, you know? Okay. And there we go. That makes sense. Anyways. Sorry for being Mandela. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can't control it, you know? So with your story, I interrupted you with that. So you went and saw the you went and saw the movie, and you were talking about that you enjoyed it, and then but, yeah, there wasn't really much to it. I went and saw the movie, and then I and then I came home and like I enjoyed it, and then I came home and I read about this, you know, on the happening online, and it was just sort of shocking because I had I had I feel like we're we're going through therapy here. Maybe this is where my love affair with the movies kind of tapered off because or with theaters, I mean, kind of tapered off because I remember thinking like the movie theater is such a, a sort of a sacred, beautiful place, or at least I thought it, I, I thought that way about it at the time. And I was just sort of blown away that like, like, Oh, like it's just a regular theater. Like I just went up and parked his car out there and just started like wasting people. And like on a Friday night when they were just there to like, enjoy like a fun movie. Like, I don't know. I feel like there was some kind of psychic damage that was done there where I can't really enter like a mainstream movie theater without thinking about that, which I don't know. It, it seems strange, but it's also something that exists. I don't know. I've talked to other people too who have had kind of the same experience. I don't know. What do you What do you think about that? It's a little crazy. Well, I think. You, no, it is a little crazy, but I don't. I don't judge anybody for it because I. It's crazy that that's a thought you have to worry about. Sure, that's the crazy right. part. So, so I have talked to other people who won't go to movies on opening weekend. Really? Really? They just okay. won't. If it's if it's a big if it's a big movie, they will not go on opening weekend. Now, I usually have that same rule, but it's because I fucking hate crowds. Right. So I don't want to go to a movie when every showing is sold out and I'm going to have to sit in the middle. Like I do like to sit like in an accessible place so I can get out or whatever. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I'm not going to judge anybody for feeling a certain way about that. I remember when it happened uh, and, and I remember obviously horrific, terrible. But if, if people were frightened of the movie theater after that, I totally understand. I just wasn't one of them. It did not really affect when I would go to the movies or, or when I would go or, or you know whatever that is. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not so much like I don't know. Like I, I I really wouldn't classify it as a big hindrance, but it's it's more of just kind of like a, a low grade background noise that I'm always conscious of. Um, that well, there's uh, not there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's like a healthy awareness and not something that someone's obsessed with. But there's nothing wrong with like a healthy awareness of where you're at. That's just the day we live in. Yeah, it's just sort of, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's you know, yeah, it's it's a strange thing, but it's uh, I feel like it's affected me. But but you know, I also think like, and this is you know to to take this off in a, a less depressing uh, direction. You know, I I think this way when I think of, you know, when I hear somebody is obsessed with like uh, novels or whatever, um, I'm like, well, okay, fine. You can like whatever you want. Right. But nobody is if you're if you're if you're if you're a novel reader and you're obsessed with novels, literary novels or whatever, that's fine. But that's an exercise in nostalgia, I think even if it is like even if you're reading contemporary novels because the novel is no longer the popular art form that it was back in the 1800s right and i kind of feel this way about movie theaters in a way in that 
it like I, I think going to the movie theater, enjoying going to the movie theater. I don't mean this in a bad way. And there's nothing wrong with being interested in a nostalgic art form. I mean, I, t- I teach writing every day. You know what I mean? I've like I'm I'm just as susceptible to as anybody to this kind of thinking. You know, and I, I love movies, obviously, but I think going to the movie theater is a 20th century phenomenon, and I do think that as a result of this pandemic, and I do think as a result of many other different factors, I feel like we've been leading up to this point where the movie theater is kind of um, becoming erased from public life. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. Uh, it's definitely you know a bad thing. I feel like the more, the less community making, uh, the, the less things that we have that make us feel like a community and that are, you know, sort of socially acceptable to, you know, to go to and, and that type of thing, you know, the worse off we are, I feel like, but I I do feel like it's out of date at this point. You know what I mean? Like it's a 20th century phenomenon. Cinema itself is a 20th century phenomenon. And now we live with something different. Now we have all these streaming sites and we have all the, you know, the new Disney shit where you have to watch the Marvel TV show in order to understand the new Marvel movie that comes out. And it's all interlinked and all that shit. Like it's something different. It's not cinema anymore. And that's fine. Or it's not fine. Maybe it's not fine. And maybe you don't like it. And that's okay too. But cinema in and of itself, it feels like a relic of a different, of a different era. And I think, I think this may be the nail in the coffin. You know what I mean? I I hope I'm wrong, but I, I don't think I am. You know, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I disagree about it being the nail in the coffin. I will say this. I think, a lot of independent chains are going to go away. I think a lot of smaller theaters are going to go away. Like the kinds that you're talking about that, sure. that are like, like IFC, any of that. Like we have a small art house one here in town. We actually have two. One of them runs purely on volunteers. They don't pay any staff. Right. So I still think like when it comes to rent, unless these buildings are owned, like you said, they're going to be rented out. They're just going to be, unfortunately, they're going to be lost. I think chains though, I think Regal, AMC, AMC, not so much. I'm, I'm sure about as Regal or Alamo Draft House because AMC was struggling before. But I do think they are going to stick around. I think that we are still going to see change. Now, could that for me? I'll take anything I can get. Right. I will take a chain theater, even if it's not as cool or as fun as the art house theater, because a theater is a theater. Uh, so it depends on how you look at that, on how that's going to settle for you. But I will say, I think that they're going to survive. We've had several big studios, or two, I shouldn't say several, three big studios, say that they are full on planning on releasing their movies in theaters when all of this pandemic is cleared up, whenever that might be. Some of them have opted to go to the small screen. I mean, who knows? But big releases, I think we will always, for the foreseeable future, with a chain, have big releases for Marvel movies and DC movies and all this shit. Uh, and I think that's what's going to keep it afloat. So we may lose what you're talking about, which I agree with. We're probably going to lose the soul of it. But I think like the corporation aspect of it, like the Regal and the Draft House, I think they're going to stick around personally. Uh, that just could just be wishful thinking on my part. Like I'm trying to will it into existence. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I really don't have, I don't know. I feel like I don't even have any like inside information or like, yeah, I mean, that sounds... That sounds plausible to me, you know. But I mean, I will say that if it sounds plausible to you, do you think that it will continue to be to the detriment of what cinema is if they are if they are mainly around 
for this occasional injection of three Marvel movies a year, the occasional DC movie. I know Nolan's dropping a movie this year. He usually drops one every three years. I mean, three or four years. Like, is it for the detriment more so of cinema for these big chains to stick around for this? You know, okay. Okay. Let me, let me say this. Here's what I think is going to happen. If I, if I had to be honest with you, here's what I think is going to happen. And here's almost what I would prefer to happen. I actually think that maybe the opposite, not, not in the near future. Cause in the near future, these, the, these, these smaller places are really going to have a difficult time, you know, paying rent during this pandemic. Um, whereas the bigger places have more, you know, more money in the bank or more, they're more liquid or whatever. But what I, what I think in the future is I think that I think these big corporations are eventually going to realize that what is the point of us like putting these movies into, um, you know, movie theaters, the chains themselves are not making very much money. The chains are just making money off of um, concessions anyways, most of the time. So um, the chains, I feel like, you know, will decide that, Hey, you know what? This isn't worth it. Whatever investment bank or whatever owns like AMC theaters is just going to be like, well, this isn't profitable anymore, you know, bye-bye. And I think, I think what actually will end up happening is that the movie theater will become like an art museum basically in that, you know, there will always be, uh, nonprofit organizations and stuff for like rich people to just like funnel their money into. And while film form may not exist in a year, something like film form will exist in 10 years. You know what I'm saying? And because there will be some rich motherfucker, some billionaire who's like, Hey, I, I like movies, you know, and I think we should, in order for me to get a tax break or whatever, I should dump all my money into this charity that, or this nonprofit that, you know, will, 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 you know, have a, like an art house movie once a week or whatever. And so I, I do think that is what's going to happen because I do think like when you talk about to the detriment of cinema, I, I just think it's going in a different direction. You know what I mean? Like cinema, I don't think cinema no longer exists in that form. I think cinema is going to be like a museum piece or like uh and it, to, to an extent it already is. I mean, movie theater attendance has been like down for what, like every year in the past, like 20 or something. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really sure what, what changes these movie passes have made for that. I know that, sure, that, that right. they have, they have made a big difference because you're getting the ticket for free. So you're spending money on concessions, right? which makes more money for the chain, but I have no idea how to measure that. Right. But I mean, yeah, cause they, they, they have been lowering, uh, because people are just, they, 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 they save their money for big releases. Right. You don't have people that go see the new movie every weekend. Right. And, and especially with the proliferation of these streaming services, I feel like the streaming service is streaming services are finally starting to sort themselves out. And by that, I mean, uh, there's going to be, you know, like five or six of them. I mean, there already is five or six, but five or six huge ones, you know, Netflix, uh, Disney plus, um, you know, the new NBC one and maybe the new HBO Max or whatever all the Warner Brothers shit is going to be called. There's going to be like five or maybe 10 or whatever. And well, what bothers me about Disney Plus, though, is the fact that they own Hulu. So like they become even more of a giant in the streaming wars. Right, 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 right. Like so that that is also problematic, as we've discussed. Disney's paintbrush over all of the shit that they're making is problematic. But that's I just wanted to add that. No, I mean, it's you know, it's true. And, you know, I 
I don't know. I guess, okay, just to bring it back. Yeah, I'm going way far afield here. But just to bring it back around, you know, I, and this is something, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, because being obsessed with cinema, you know, being interested in cinema, even if you want to make it, if you want to write about it, if you want to just watch it on Friday night. Uh, and when I say cinema, I'm talking about, you know, a, a two hour long or an hour and a half long feature length movie that doesn't have any sequels and is stands alone or whatever. That type of shit is, is going away. You know, you can, you can no longer, you know, we're moving towards where it's inconvenient to even see that stuff in person. It's more economically feasible to pay $5 to Amazon and rent it for 48 hours or whatever. Cinema as a 20th century phenomenon, I think is dead or it is dying and it's changed into something else. And, you know, okay, so that's fine. You know, like, like act accordingly. You know, I know cinephilia. I know my love for Anna Karina and Jean-Luc Godard. I know that that is not relevant in a modern context. Nobody can really make money off of that consumer choice of mine. And that's okay. You know, nobody knows who Andre Tarkovsky is. Nobody even really knows who Martin Scorsese is as heartening as it was um, for a few, for like a month there where it seemed like everybody was talking about the Irishman in general, people don't know who Martin Scorsese is or even care who he is. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And so like, that's, that's okay. You know what I mean? It's, it's cinema is dead or dying, you know, and, and that's being a cine, being a cinephile is inherently nostalgic. And I think that's just, this is for this, what this, the results of this pandemic are going to be, I think even more proof of that. And I think, I think it's something that every cinephile has to come to terms with. Hey, the thing that you love is no longer part of the cultural conversation anymore. And that's just, Hey, that's the way it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I guess, you know, for anybody that's listened to past episodes, like I'm going to liken my thought on this to what I've said in past episodes when we were talking about like a book adaptation where I said, I would rather have, a bad adaptation than no adaptation. I would rather have a movie theater. I can go see a movie in than have no movie theater. Now, whether that movie happens to be quote unquote real cinema or whether it happens to be black widow, I don't fucking know. I just know that I want to watch. I mean, like you said, we're talking about, I believe, I don't know if it was some like it hot or something else. No, I think it was um, to kill a mockingbird. I agree with you about like, yeah, sometimes it's easier to sit at home and watch it than to go see it on the big screen. But there's something about going to see, like I saw Shawshank Redemption, one of my favorite movies of all time. I saw that on the big screen a couple of months ago. I didn't have to pay 15 bucks to see that. I own it. Like, but it's like, to me personally, it's that experience of like, I wasn't able to go see this when it came out. That's why I love, I mean, I've seen Taxi Driver. I've seen, uh, 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 some like it hot oddly enough I've seen singing in the rain I've seen sound of music on big screens and there's something incredibly amazing about it and I can't describe it but it's just something that I love and I don't want to lose that with losing theaters I I, I generally agree with you you know I, I think there is going to be something that's lost um, you know but uh, I don't know I guess I feel like it's more it's going to be more of a nail in the coffin as opposed to um, a sudden heart attack. You know, I feel like this thing has been on, uh, this thing has been on a respirator for a while and this is, this is going to be 
it, if it doesn't do it in entirely, um, it will effectively uh, do it in. Yeah, you may be able to see Black Widow at a Regal um, or AMC theater in you know a year or whatever, but um, I don't know. It's you know, and it's sad, but it's uh, you know, hey, that's what you get for loving movies, you know. It's well, yeah, and and there's going to be ebbs and flows, and technology changes things, but I mean. I don't know if I've ever I've ever told you this off podcast or whatever, but anybody I talk to about this, I'm not shy in saying I would snap my fingers and totally Thanos. Uh, speaking of Marvel, uh, Thanos out streaming services if I could, if I could bring back the days of Blockbuster and Movie Gallery, and and I don't know if you remember the local video store we had in Milton Arts uh, Video. If I could bring those stores back, absolutely I would. And I know some people are like, you're an idiot. That's nostalgia talking. It's like, no, that is like legitimate. Like I miss the days of being able to go to Blockbuster and limit it on what you can rent because you have to limit what you can watch because you can only watch so many things in like the five day rental period or whatever. Sure, There's too much content. It's watering everything down. 80% of what's on Netflix or any of these other places, they just fucking suck. And I, I miss that. So if I could, if I could make streaming services disappear, I would take it. And I, and I think my love for the theater plays into that. But I mean, those days are gone. Like you said, they're gone. They're never coming back. So it doesn't matter what we want. It matters what's here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I feel like I, I, yeah, I feel like we're just in different stages of grief, me and you, when it comes to this kind of thing, like. I don't know how many how many how many stages of grief are there like nine or eight or whatever. What is there seven? seven I don't know. Grief, yeah, maybe I've been Mandela affected on that too. <laughs> Who the fuck knows anymore? What are we even doing here? <laughs> You're on uh, a podcast no. that you started, Silver Screen Video. Um, or does somebody just tell me that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think we I think we do. Uh, I think we're currently viewing this entire situation in in, in different uh, ways, per se. Yeah, I think so too. But I think the general, I think the general outlook is the same. Is that uh, you know, um, uh, there's this quote from David Boardwell where he says, "TV always breaks your heart," and I love I love that phrase. I not because I necessarily agree with it, but he, he's talking about like cinema never breaks your heart because it's two hours and then that's it. You know, bad movie is only a couple hours of your time, which is relatively not that much. Whereas a TV show, if it gets bad, you think, oh, my God, I've spent so much time with these characters. And now this show sucks. You know, this is horrible. Or it stays good until the end. And when it ends, you're like, oh, my God, it's so good. I love this show. I can't believe it's over. It always breaks your heart. And um, I would say that about cinema, you know, being a cinephile is uh is to be a broken heart you know it's to be someone with a constant sort of sense of nostalgia for um you know a different way of consuming this entertainment this art that we all know and love so much whether you're maybe you're nostalgic for the vhs days and the the blockbuster days like you talked about or maybe you're nostalgic for um you know, I always think I'm not nostalgic for it because I, you know, I wasn't there for it. But I always think about, you know, in the 1930s, 1939, the golden age of Hollywood, when no one said, what are you going to see at the movies? Because everybody just went to the movies on Friday night. You know, that's just what you did if you lived in. A- yeah. And there was only one. Right. There wasn't 18. Right. There was just one theater and it just played on a loop 
like a, you know, a bunch of shorts and then a newsreel and then two features or whatever. And you just walked in and everybody went to the movies at least once on the weekend. And I think about that, you know, film being such a supreme, um, you know, element of our lives and, you know, to, to, to be a cinephile is to be inherently nostalgic about these things. And since they cannot be re uh, created, I mean, we're, you know, this is this is a little self aggrandizing, but we're trying our best to, um, you know, and we've we've gotten way more feedback and way more listeners than we ever thought we would. We've tried our best to kind of, you know, recapture just a tiny little sliver of you know what it's like to uh, you know to, to 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 go into your favorite video store and talk to your favorite video clerks and uh, get some recommendations and that type of shit, and. Um, you know, but it's gone forever. You can't re- you can't actually recreate it. And uh, you know what's funny is there was a video store down the road from me in Bellingham, and uh, I was excited about it. And at two months after we moved here, it shut down. <laughs> so that's uplifting. I mean, it's true. Like I feel like that that sort of it's like uh, it, it's like in Vertigo. There's this scene where he talks about like. You know, back in the old days in San Francisco, you know, when you could just throw a woman out because she was pregnant or whatever, like there would be women who were walking the streets and sort of constantly weeping, you know, for their for their lost children or for their like lost lives or whatever, because they committed infidelities or whatever. And I feel like that's kind of what you turn into as a cinephile. You know what I mean? You're sort of constantly walk around in sort of this mourning and self-pity and this nostalgia for an art form that. You know, if you can admit it to yourself, is not really that relevant anymore, and it's changed into something uh, completely different. And that's just the way of all things. You know, I think I think cinef- to to be a cinephile is to is to embrace that heartbreak a little bit and to uh, to try to uh, wind back the clock. You know, every time you uh, you pop in some like it hot, or you pop in Gene Kelly, or you know whatever, fill in the blank with whatever you want to. You know, well, I think that's a good way to put it with, with going back to the heartbreaking in cinema, because I mean, honestly, like I, I think about this often where it's like, if I could snap my fingers, once again, I'll use a snap metaphor. If I could snap my fingers and like replace my cinema obsession with like a fucking stamp collection, I would take it. <laughs> like if I could rid myself of this, I would take it a hundred percent right? because it is something it's the equivalent of being a Dallas fan in the NFL. It is something that will just constantly disappoint you because as things evolve, you're losing something. There's nothing you're going to retain uh, because it's going to change. It's going to evolve. And off to often it will evolve into something that is not what it was supposed to be. Right. So hundred percent. And I you know that what that means is what, what, what that means, brass tacks and not to get too sincere with it. And we're going to move on to our actor showcase and all that shit. But you know, not to put, not to get too sincere with it, but what that means is that it's gone in real life. It's gone. You're never going to get it back. You know, cinema is dead. Act accordingly. And so, what you have to do is, you, the listener, and you, everybody, me included, is that you have to create that space yourself. You have to foster a uh, a relationship with cinema on your own. And sometimes that involves solitary watching. Sometimes that involves watching Seven Samurai by yourself and being like, 
well, I sure wish I had somebody to talk to this about. And you just don't, you know, and sometimes that involves creating a very small community. Me and Jonathan have been a little community of two for a long time. You know, sometimes that involves moving to a place where there's a larger cinephile, cinephile community. But at the end of the day, that's what this is. You, you have to react to the fact that cinema is dead by making your own community, by creating your own atmosphere and social uh, situation where you can enjoy this and partake in the art form in the best way that you can. And that's, that's what cinephilia is too. It breaks your heart, but it also forces you to make a community of, uh, of, of people who like the same uh, sort of dead uh, art form that you also like, you know? Well, I say a good spot to end this and and transition to our uh, actor spotlight is what is your favorite theater moment, be it your favorite movie in the theater or whatever, like that you can think of off the top of your head. Um, it can't involve anything weird in the theater. Um, it has to be movie related. Okay. So first of all, just specify. I'll answer that. this. I'll answer this, <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer this with, uh, with two things. One, uh, I watched an interview with Tom Cruise one time and somebody asked him this very question. And if you ever start to think, that celebrities are just like us, you know, then think about this anecdote because someone asked Tom Cruise this question, probably the biggest movie star on the planet, the last of the big movie stars. And he responded and he goes, ah, man, I tell you what, so many experiences, so many experiences. I love just going to the movie theater and sitting down with my big bag of popcorn and a soda. And just, I love just watching the movies on the big screen. And it's in that moment that you realize Tom Cruise is not a normal human being and, in fact, has not been to a regular movie theater probably once in the past 40 years. I feel like the interviewer should have been like, Tom, Tom, let me stop you right there. You've never been to a movie theater, have Dude, you? Dude, he hasn't. He hasn't. <laughs> These okay. people are not like us. I just love that as an illustration of the fact that, like, I want somebody to ask Tom Cruise, like how much a banana costs or when the last time he was in a grocery store, you know, like Tom, when's the last time you bought your own groceries? <laughs> Tom, when's the last time you ate real food? Uh, okay. Anyways, no, my real answer is, um, at Christmas Eve of, let's see, what year was this? It would have been 2016. Um, it was a year after my dad died. Uh, my mom had never been to New York city. And uh, my dad said that he would never go to New York City while he was alive. So uh, she waited a year after she died, after he died, and then she decided she wanted to go. And so I came up to New York City with her. Um, I was in a really, um, uh, I was in a really complicated place in my life where I had gone back to school uh, for something completely different than what I was doing at the time, which was nursing. And um, I was flirting with the idea of applying to this, uh, this program that I eventually got into at Columbia. And, um, I, it was Christmas Eve and me, like I said, me and my mom were in New York. We, it was our first, both of our first time here. And I went to the IFC center down in the West village and I watched Mulholland drive at a midnight showing on Christmas Eve. And it was such an amazing experience. It was just me and like three other guys. And, I think maybe even like a homeless person, that's something that happens a lot up here is that like a homeless person will buy a ticket to a movie and just kind of chill in the movie theater all day. So you end up having a lot of homeless people in movie theaters, especially on cold nights. 
And um, yeah, I watched Mulholland Drive and I, I sat in that theater and I thought to myself, this is the type of experience that I want to be able to replicate anytime that I wanted to. And uh, it was such a beautiful, incredible experience. It wasn't even necessarily about the movie. It was about the whole thing. And um, so I went home and I applied to uh, the graduate program that I eventually got into and moved down to New York uh, about six months after that. And uh, yeah, I would say that is probably my, my single uh, favorite and probably most impactful um, cinema experience. Yeah, Mulholland Drive, IFC Center, Christmas Eve. Well, yours, uh, yours is a lot more heartfelt than mine. Mine's purely surface level, superficial. Oh shit! Sorry. Oh, were we doing uh, that? Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I wish my story was as heartfelt as yours, given how I feel about movie theaters. Uh, I, I, uh, mine is based. Mine has not changed since this day. It is based purely on the uh, sheer amazingness that I witnessed. It was IMAX. So I'm, I'm assuming this is the same. It counts. Uh, it was my first time in IMAX watching a real right. movie, not like a documentary or some yeah. shit. I was uh, I was living in uh, West Palm Beach at the time. So we drove over to Fort Lauderdale to go to, I think, the biggest IMAX in the country. If it's not the biggest, it's one of the biggest. And I watched The Dark Knight. Hell yeah. I remember that. I remember when you saw it, that. Yeah, it was the greatest theatrical experience of my life uh it was pure magic it i mean it's it's such a beautiful movie in terms of how he filmed it uh, obviously he shot some of it on imax camera like the scene with the 18 wheeler flipping there's so much shit it was so loud it just you felt like you were in the fucking movie and it has been something I have never been able to replicate in any movie theater since. Those IMAX theaters are incredible, man. I I, I actually know that exact IMAX theater you're talking about. Uh, and I saw Watchmen there, actually. Um, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, it was, it, yeah that'd be Yeah, cool, it was an man. incredible experience. Um, but yeah, that th- those IMAX ones, man, if you see a good movie in one of those things, it really kind of opens your eyes up to like, oh my God, this is... Uh, I mean, it sounds cliche to say, but it's like, this is like being in the fucking movie. This is insane. One more question. What's the most times you've gone to see a movie in the theaters? Like one oh, you really love? I don't want to answer this one, dude. You know, the answer to this you one. have to. Yeah. Yeah. You got to tell us. All right. Jesus Christ. All right. So 2008 or 2009. I don't remember what year it was. The sirens are playing at an appropriate time for this. <laughs> yeah, the cops are coming to get me once I answer this. Um, the is that too loud? Sorry, I can't. No, no, it's fine. Hey, it's part yeah, of New York. I, it's New York. It's what it is, it. man. That's, that's the what you're listening to is the latest uh, COVID uh, death. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, no, it's uh, God, it's fucking Slumdog Millionaire from like 2009. I think I saw that movie in the theater six times. Um. Okay. I, was so, <laughs> I knew you were going to laugh at it. And one, <laughs> and one of those six times was uh, me and you went and saw it, I think. And I remember after we got out of the theater, it was at that rave on W Street. We we, uh, we walked into the bathroom and I was like, so what you think? And we sat there and peed in silence. And you said, hold on, man, I'm peeing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that may have okay, been let the me sixth t- and final time that I saw Slumdog Millionaire. Okay, 
you know this, but for everybody else, I fucking hate that movie. I know. I think that movie might still be one of the most overrated pieces of garbage ever put on camera. Look, I liked um, it at the time. I haven't seen it since. Don't judge me. Now, now I will say, I don't remember exactly what I said, but uh, hopefully it wasn't mean because I do try to to not be a dick when it comes to dealing with a movie someone loves. So I did not like that movie. I, every time I see anything from that movie, every time I see what's his face, I don't really care for him either. The lead actor, I can't remember his name. Dev Patel. Um, every time I see Dev Patel, I think of how much you love that movie and I laugh. I'm not joking. <laughs> I'll never, dude. You loved that movie. You raved about it. I, I, I yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I did. I went and saw it six times in movie theaters. I love The Dark Knight as well, and I think I only saw it maybe four or five times. But no. Yeah, well, Slumdog was a was an even six, buddy. I was I was in it to win it for that movie. Before we move on, I will embarrass myself as well. Hell yeah! Uh, I went and saw this movie. Now, mind you, I knew somebody that worked at the Ridge, so I was able to get in for free for half of these showings. Okay. So um, the other seven I paid for. I went and saw this movie fourteen times. <laughs> Fourteen times. Oh my! Now, before I tell you, I will ask you on air: Do you know what this movie is? Okay, so if you saw it at the Ridge, that ha- that has to mean it's like post two thousand five, uh, and you saw it fourteen, dude. I no, I, I can't think of anything that you would have saw at the Ridge fourteen times. It's really funny you said post two thousand five because it's in two thousand five. Is it three hundred? No. <laughs> How great would it be if this story ended with 300? Um, no, I, I literally no, it was what it is. It was Walk the Line. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course it's Walk the Line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. so I had this obsession with Johnny Cash in high school and like and like I, I read his books and all because I was obsessed with his music. So then when this movie came out, I was like, okay, I, I got to see this movie. Obviously, I love Johnny Cash. And then it like made that love for Johnny Cash like on steroids. Yeah. And uh yeah, dude, there was so I love that movie to this day. I've seen it several more times since. So that's my embarrassing number I've seen at the movie theater. So. Yeah, no. I remember we were working at City Financial, I think, when it like when it came out on DVD or like maybe when it was when the Oscar ceremony happened, it was like a year after it had come out or whatever. And, uh, or maybe, maybe it just like, it, 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 maybe it wasn't relevant. We were just, I remember us talking about it when we worked at city financial together. And, uh, I remember one time (laughs) I told you that I thought, (laughs) I thought Reese Witherspoon's performance was actually better than Joaquin Phoenix. And you like, didn't talk to me for a week. (laughs) Oh, I remember. I remember when you said that. So Yeah. So having said that, you listeners, let us know what you think about Slumdog Millionaire and Walk the Line. <laughs> I, I would love to hear. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's just jump into uh, our actor spotlight if you're ready to do it. Let's do it, man. So we picked Oscar Isaac. We're both a fan of him. Uh, let's just get it out of the way first. What's your favorite performance by Oscar Isaac? Ooh, favorite performance by Oscar Isaac. Uh, why don't you remind me of some of yours? <laughs> I literally oh. can't. Hold on, I can't. Okay. Ex Machina? Ex uh, Machina is a good one. That's up there for me. I think it might be his second best performance uh, simply because he his performance in Drive is great, but I can't say it's my favorite because it was so limited. I, In my opinion, regardless of how you feel about the movie, and by you I mean anybody, 
I think his best performance in terms of subtlety and the way he just carried it was inside Lewin Davis. Oh, um, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's just something about the way he carried himself in that movie. And, and then that's when I kind of started paying attention to him. The first movie I saw with Oscar Isaacs was Robin, uh, not Robin Hood, Sucker Punch. Uh, he played the bad guy in yeah. Sucker Punch. Uh, so him and that creepy fucking mustache. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I think his performance, the only performance that's better possibly than his, uh, inside Lewin Davis is probably X-Men apocalypse. I think his performance in that was just astounding. I have not seen that movie. I was being totally sarcastic. I'm sorry. Oh, it, fell, it, it fell flat since you've never seen it. His performance was, <laughs> he looked like, uh, he looked like Mr. Ooze from, uh, the original power Rangers movie. Uh, uh, yeah, I literally have no reference for that for Apocalypse at all because I just never saw it. I don't even—I didn't even know he was in it. Man, that makes like three bad jokes in this episode. I may have to edit one of them out. Sorry, um, dude. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm letting you down. <laughs> I'm no, you uh, uh, no, but seriously, like, uh, yeah, Inside Lou and Day. I also I liked him in uh, Annihilation. Although once again, it's a movie he wasn't in that much, but he still left something there. I don't know. Like, so, so would you say inside Lewin Davis is yours or do you have a different one? No, I would definitely say inside Lewin Davis. I mean, it's definitely his most, um, I mean, it's probably his most central, uh, sort of prestige movie role, you know? Right. I mean, has he really ever like had a lead role where he's worked with like, uh, you know, a great director, um, or in, in that case, set of directors uh, before. I don't think so, right? Not really. I mean, I would say though. I know Alex Garland isn't a household name yet, but it will be. His performance in Ex Machina was great because he was a tech genius who was clearly insane. It was right. clear that he was insane, but he presented it in such a great way with the way he played the character up until obviously all that went down. But that is a performance that I love to point to as well because it was a very subtle performance and I thought he he did a great job opposite Domhnall Gleeson as a character who's like, it's clear something weird is going on and you're insane, but you're a genius and you're my idol, so I can't call you out per se. Right. Um, but his performance in that was fucking great. Sorry, no, I just want to real quick point out one of his um, one of his other iconic performances that I think we're kind of like looking over. Um is uh in the 2004 movie uh Lenny the Wonder Dog. Wow. Um uh, yeah, Lenny Lenny the Wonder Dog. He's a talking dog apparently. Uh Oscar Isaac plays again an iconic role, uh Detective Fartman. That is his uh that is his role. Get, didn't he Lenny get nominated for an Oscar that year? I think so. Yeah, but he was beaten out by Polly Shore in uh in uh son-in-law i don't know i'm sorry i lost hey, my way there you know what i can stand by a lot but i will not stand by why you insult Polly shore for the second time the first time the listeners didn't hear but oh that's right so that that doesn't act as a call back then okay well then forget yeah. i said that. no i just saw that on there as well yeah that's weird god i guess you got to do what you got to do hey i'll tell you this he was an all about the benjamins in 2002 and i love that movie that was what an ice that? cube that's an ice cube mike epps special man it was fucking hilarious Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm looking at the poster now where Ice Cube wears that heat jersey the whole way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that I, I love Ice Cube in general, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that movie. He had a part in The Bourne Legacy. I don't remember what his part was. I uh, never saw that movie. I never saw Robin Hood either because I just didn't give a shit. That's the uh, the Ridley Scott one, I believe. 
with uh, Russell Crowe. Oh yeah, I never saw that one either. Yeah, fuck it. I mean, uh, when I when I when I think Oscar Isaac, I think Inside Lewin Davis, Ex Machina. I, I really uh, I liked his performance. Oddly enough, and uh, what's that movie? We talked about it a couple of months ago. Uh, I'm looking it up. At Eternity's Gate. I thought he was really right. good in that. Right. Yeah. 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 As uh, as what's his name? Paul. Uh, how do you pronounce oh. that last name? I can't remember. Gogan. Gogan. Yeah. Gogan. Gogan. Yeah, I think it's go. Yeah, I think it's Gogan. His performance opposite of Willem Dafoe. I loved their scenes together. That movie was somewhat of a letdown, but their performances together, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, he he is really great in that. I, uh, you know, the thing with Oscar Isaac is, oh, oh, and I should mention, I think he's great in Triple Frontier. Yeah, uh, I was I was gonna say that too. I know that that I, you know I think we've talked about it on air. I did enjoy it. I still think it had some issues, but his character, him and Affleck's character were really good. Yeah. I thought that movie was great, man. I really like, as far as like a direct uh, Netflix movie or whatever, like that you can just like flip on and like kind of, kind of bliss out to like, I, I really liked that movie. It was, I don't well, know, just, just the whole Mexican drug Lord and jungles and shit. I was just like, yeah, I'm here for all this. As a callback to our Catherine Bigelow episode where we did a series on her, if you haven't listened, go back way back. That's like our first few episodes. We did a three-part series on her. Mark Bull wrote this. A piece of me thinks they offer her this movie, and she declined for one reason or another. Interesting. Um, I didn't know he wrote it. Yeah, he wrote it. If he if she had directed this movie, I can I mean obviously I think we can both agree it would have been significantly enhanced because she's just a hell of a director when it comes to action scenes. I don't know why she declined it. Maybe she just didn't want to go back to that genre right now, but yeah, he did write it. So there had there, unless he just wrote it for a paycheck, a piece of me thinks Netflix did float this to her. And she said, no, dude, frankly, I mean, if we're talking what ifs, dude, I would, I would rather Bigelow return to doing movies like this, as opposed, you know, I'm not a big fan of Detroit. Like I would love to see her tackle something like this. Like just same here with that cast, dude. I yeah. mean, I think she would have knocked it out of the park. Yeah. A hundred percent. But it's interesting that he wrote that. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, are we going to ignore the, uh, the Poe Dameron elephant in the room? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you this. I'm sure that Disney money spends good, but, uh, Amen. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I will say like he is uh, he does something that I think Chris Pratt is uh, attempting to do in the Jurassic, the new Jurassic World movies. Um, you mean the same Chris Pratt? He is in every movie he's in. Yeah, but I think he's I think he's more I, I think he's OK. See, this is why anybody who thinks I'm being like fucking hyperbolic whenever I'm like talking about the death of cinema, this, this is proof because here we are, we're talking about an exciting young actor who's really talented, blah, blah, blah. And in order to talk about him, we have to talk about the guardians of the galaxy movies and all these fucking baby shit movies that, I mean, I, you know, I'm as susceptible to them as anybody else, but anyways, hey, I like guardians of the galaxy, buddy. Look, I do too, but I mean, it's, it's insane to have to talk about a, a young, you know, talented actor's career while, while being like, well, he's good as star Lord, but he's not as good in the Jurassic world movies or whatever. But anyway. well, I mean, this is, this is the world we live in. Disney is going to get their tentacles wrapped around every young actor, actress, and creator out there. They just are right. like that. That's just how it is. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So anyways, my point is. Uh, Chris Pratt, I think, is good in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies because 
there's a certain like dopey quality that he brings to that role, which is believable, which is, you know, similar to Andy and Parks and Recreation. But in those Jurassic World movies, he is trying to be like uh, kind of like a, a charming and sexy badass, like a Harrison Ford type guy. And Chris Pratt is just not good at playing that. But Oscar Isaac is. And I think that as flawed as the new Star Wars trilogy is, and obviously it is flawed and blah, blah, blah. We've talked about that. But I do think he pulls off kind of like a devil may care, like Harrison Ford-esque, you know, attitude. I think he pulls it off uh, despite the shortcomings of the script and the directing and all that. I think he's talented enough to kind of pull that off. And that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, when you think about these new Star Wars movies and you think of the characters in them, which ones do you think of? The ones I think of and the ones I think that have resonated the most is the kind of like love relationship between Poe and Finn, John Boyega's character. I feel like those are really the only two characters and the kind of like homoerotic tension around them that have really even broken through. I think most people would would not be able to even name Ray if they saw her as opposed to people. I feel like know who Poe and Finn are. So I feel Dude, like- not that I want to, not that I want to start a star Wars thing here, but Finn's a shitty character. Nobody fucking remembers that people remember Kylo Ren and Poe Dameron. Nobody gives a shit about Finn. What are you talking about? Look, all right, fine. My point, <laughs> my point, <laughs> my point is, I will agree with you that Finn is not exactly the main attraction, but when people talk about characters from star Wars, most of the time, the new ones that they bring up are, you're right, Kylo Ren and Poe Dameron. And I think that's a testament to Oscar Isaac's ability to pull off that kind of devil may care, like charming attitude. I think he's good at it. I will say, though, just in her defense, I think uh, Daisy Ridley did her best because I think she's a solid actress, but they didn't give her shit to work with. Oh, yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's not her fault at all. She's She's literally bringing all the charm she can to the table, and it's just... You know, it's a a piece of wood. I would have rather seen his character do something else. Every bit of humor felt forced. Everything he was saying felt like a Han Solo B movie role type shit. Right. Um, I was not a fan of him in this movie, but I do agree with what you're saying. But I was not a fan. They didn't let it just all felt so contrived as much as I hate that word. Yeah. I mean, they fucking suck. Don't get me wrong. I'm just I, I, I just think he. I'll say this about Oscar Isaac. Whenever I think about him, I think in a, in a nutshell, I think about a young, talented actor who's like kind of like poised to really like break out and like get nominated for a few Oscars or something and maybe win one one day and work with a few interesting directors and blah, blah, blah. But then I look at his filmography and I'm like, dude, he hasn't really been in that many great movies. I mean, you got Inside Lewin Davis, you got, uh, you know, you got Ex Machina, but other than that, he's not really carrying a heavy load in any actual good movies, you know? Yeah, I know. And that's kind of the problem. Like he, he's being serviceable in these, in these bit parts like drive. Right. Uh, he, he was great. And like we said, uh, um, uh, Annihilation at Eternity's Gate, by the way, Annihilation is another Alex Garland movie. He, but, uh, I will tell you like, it's bizarre because some of his movies that I've enjoyed are movies that I don't feel like get a lot of play the two faces of January and uh, what's that other one that uh, we have talked Mojave. I think both of those movies are really strong. Both of those came out in 2000. No, actually Mojave was 2015 uh, two faces of January is 2014. 
but they just, and same with the most violent year, like, dude, he's put out some home runs, but they're not big. They, they don't get anybody's attention. I mean, I, I've seen a most violent year and it's, I don't know, it's fine, but he is definitely good in it. Um, I think he's the best part of it, which is saying a lot since uh, Jessica Chastain normally knocks it out of the park. Right. But the other two, I, those Mojave and the other one, I have never even heard of. Like, I, like, I feel like he needs a better agent or something or, or maybe needs to, you know what I mean? Like there was a run where Matt Damon was on in like the late 2000s where he like worked with like, you know, Eastwood and then, uh, you know, like a bu- like Scorsese and The Departed. And he worked with like a bunch of uh, and Soderbergh and The Informant. And he worked with a bunch of really interesting and good directors right there in a row. And I feel like Oscar Isaac needs a run like that. Like he needs to be in, you know, the next like five or six movies he needs to be in are in like, you know, stuff by interesting directors, which he, he's got a good start on because we haven't mentioned his next big role coming up. Yeah. Which I'm excited about and didn't know until you told me, uh, he's working with Paul Schrader and Paul Schrader, I believe said all the studios, were being bitches about the coronavirus and he didn't want to shut down his production. <laughs> so yeah, I saw Paul Schrader. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually, uh, yeah. I actually wasn't talking about the card counter. Oh, what were you talking about? I was talking about Dune. Oh yeah. He's got Dune too. Yeah. He's working with another great director with uh Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Yeah, dude. So, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, uh, but going back to what you said about him, I will say like, this is the last thing I'll say. And I don't know if you'll agree or disagree. He did Inside Lewin Davis in 2013. That movie should have been the movie that started him on this upward trajectory. Yes, yes. But it didn't. So is it his agent's fault? I don't know. But if he's not careful, he's going to look back on his career. And I mean, no offense to the person I'm about to name because I'm a big fan. And I think some of his best work nobody has seen. He is going to look back on his career and be Jeremy Renner. Ooh. And I I think that's really shitty. That's a good take. That's a- yeah, man. Cause I, I like Jeremy Renner. He has made some home runs that nobody fucking saw. No, th- he is known as Hawkeye, but that's a great take because Jeremy Renner, uh, the hurt locker should have been something that catapulted him forward into becoming someone like Damon or kind of like maybe DiCaprio in like 2002 or whatever. And instead he got fucking around with Marvel and he just kind of fizzled out. And yeah, dude. And, and, and I think that's why it bothers me that he took on this star Wars role. Cause it's like, what else could you have been doing? Like how fucking long would it take eight months per movie? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like how long were you just in wherever they film those things? I think it's the UK or something like, yeah, yeah. How many things did you have to cancel because you had to be Poe po fucking Dameron? Yeah. Yeah. That's that dude. That's a good comparison, man. And see, that's, that's good. I, Cause I wanted I wanted these kind of actor spotlights. I think you did too, to kind of be like a, not a vehicle for praise so much as just kind of like an assessment of like what to make of Oscar Isaac. Like, is he ever going to follow up on that promise of inside Lewin Davis, you know, like, yeah. And that's why like, we want to be interesting with our choices. You can't pick like Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington oh, or right, Meryl right. Street. Yeah, yeah. Cause then it's going to be like, what the fuck are we supposed to do? Say all the same shit. Everyone who knows anything about movies says about them. Sure. Right. 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 Uh, so I think Oscar Isaac, yeah, that was a good first choice for this reason because he is just, he's teetering on the edge and who knows he may be a late bloomer like Dune and the card counter. I don't know what the fuck big gold brick is, but that's another movie in post-production. The director is Brian Petsos? I don't know who the fuck that is. I don't know. So. I, I I did actually. Um, Dune is Dune is going to be great and all. I genuinely think Dune is going to be amazing. But on the Wikipedia page, I don't I don't know the 
the book very well, but it says that that the character he's playing is a secondary character. So even, even if he is in Dune and that's great and all, but like, he's still going to be like a secondary character. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. We, we, yeah. Because I mean, who knows if Josh Brolin or Timothy Chalamet, I don't know. I've never read the book, so I don't know who's going to take the lead, but I mean, this is a stacked cast with a lot of competition. Javier Bardem, Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, right. So he, at best, so, he's going to be like, at best, he's going to be annihilation, you know, like he's going to be like he was yeah. annihilation. So yeah. Oscar Isaac, buddy, we know you're out there. We know you're listening. Um, Come on, pal, make some, go work, go make a Clint Eastwood movie and like learn, you know, or go, go make, try, try to get in the next Tarantino or something. You know, we need you to become one of our next great actors. Yeah. Stop fucking around with Star Wars. And yeah, what the fuck, Oscar? And God damn it. Don't do any more X-Men movies. What is wrong with you? Let's just, oh yeah, I forgot about X-Men. Let's just turn this into an Oscar Isaacs bashing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, before we wrap up quarantine uh there's one movie i would like to talk about do you have any to discuss briefly um okay i don't have a movie to discuss but i have a thing that i'm going to recommend that everybody go do if you have the criterion channel if you don't is it movie related yes 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 okay i'm making sure (laughs) i sense the word i do have a recommendation for everybody go fuck yourself uh no (laughs) go kill your closest family member Uh, parody that's a parody um no no no. there's okay so if you have the criterion channel if you don't have the criterion channel sign up i think you can sign up and they're like i don't know free three months or whatever the fuck i don't know because of the quarantine but and this is relevant to our episode topic and uh you jonathan actually do not know about this and i'm gonna tell you and it's really interesting they do oh cool okay they do this profile they do this thing where um ever so often they'll do like a um kind of a a profile where they'll go to um, it's called uh, art house America and they'll go to these different art house theaters in the United States and will, um, you know, kind of do like a little 10 minute documentary about them. They've done one here in New York and they did one upstate in New York, but the rest of them are like all across the country. There's um, did one in Tucson, Arizona, one in Dallas, there's one in Juneau, Alaska, one in Montana, and um, it's I think there's maybe like 12 episodes now. But what they do is they they have it in like a little collection where you can watch the little 10 minute documentary about the movie theater. And it's called Art House America. But I mean, it really it's just like, you know, indie theaters like they do. They do all kinds of stuff. They do events and they do, you know, um, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show sing alongs and just all kinds of stuff. And um, what they do is they then have like a little collection of movies that are recommended by the staff of that movie theater um, that are on that are on the Criterion channel. And so but the main attraction is the little 10 minute documentary. And I think, like I said, I think there's like 10 or 12 of them. So, I mean, it's, you know, about an hour long, but even the most cynical amongst you, our listeners, and um, I'm speaking for myself personally, you know, you watch these little 10 minute documentaries and it's. You know, this woman in in Juneau, Alaska, who's keeping open this tiny art house theater and they do events and they have like the local ballet school do like a little performance before a movie. And and it really is uh, completely and totally heartwarming uh, to watch 
these communities of like like there's um, there's a, a theater in Tucson that they do like kind of outreach in like the Native American communities and 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 people who are in the neighborhood just go and frequent these art house movie theaters and they really grow up to be like part of these uh, individual communities. It's not you know it's not like it is up here or, or where it's just like the haven of like hipsters and snobs or whatever. These are like vital members of the community and it's all centered around cinema it's all centered around sitting in the dark with a group of strangers and and watching those you know shadows flicker on the screen so i would recommend anybody who if your faith is shaken and the prospect of movie theaters closing down is getting you depressed and i'm talking to my co-host specifically uh go on there check it out it's called art house america uh like i said there's about 10 or 12 and uh i promise you you will feel good about the state of cinema after you watch these until you realize that they'll probably all be shut down because of the pandemic. But until then you will enjoy yourself. Uh, no reason to add that last part. <laughs> no reason. I, I am sold though. I will watch this. This is the second recommendation you've made to me. And I thought this is what you were going to talk about, but uh, I, this is the second one on the criterion channel. So I'm going to have fun watching both. Yeah. They got some great original programming on there. That is uh yeah, that hasn't, I mean, obviously it's not movies, but like actual like little documentaries and stuff like that, that are really great. So, yeah. Well, I'm looking through it. Where's their Marvel section? <laughs> I can't find it. Uh <laughs> Okay, so no, that is a great recommendation. Do that. You will not regret it. I can't wait to do it. I just wanted to throw this movie out there. This is one that is forgotten by Scorsese lovers everywhere. But there is a movie called Bringing Out the Dead. I believe it came out in 1999. I'm going to look it up just to confirm that it came out. Yeah, 99. So it has Nicolas Cage. So it's already, it's a win. It's uh, Patricia Arquette, who's great. John Goodman, Ving Rames, Tom Sizemore, Mark Anthony, Cliff Curtis. Like, there's a solid fucking cast. It is written by Joe Conley. He wrote the novel, and Paul Schrader adapted it. Okay. Now, Paul Schrader is interesting because he also adapted like Taxi Driver, and I and I believe, and I, and I can't wait for you to watch it because I really want to hear your thoughts. It's on Amazon Prime for free, by the way, everyone. Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver, and I think looking at this from a how to view humanity, but also New York, I think this is a beautiful companion piece for Taxi Driver. Interesting. Uh, okay. So, so this movie was it, it was I've only this is only my third time watching it, which is weird for a Scorsese movie that I actually have access to. So I remember watching it the first time and thinking, why does Scorsese want to do this? Well, it's very clear. It's New York. Like the way this movie shows New York is fucking crazy. It's it, it, he specifically states in the beginning of the movie, this film is a, is a movie about New York in the nineties. So the way he does it, I think this is Nicholas cages. I think is his uh, second best performance he's ever given. And he's, he's an EMT, uh, right? Yeah. He's an EMT. So with you, with your nursing background, I'm not really sure how much you had to deal with EMTs, but I can't wait for you to watch it and kind of like get your take on it. Oh yeah. I had Um, a complicated relationship with some EMTs in my day. Seemed like everybody in this fucking movie had a complicated relationship with the EMTs. (laughs) So I, 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 uh, I know about this movie and, uh, but I just had never gotten around to seeing it. You know, the lesser quote unquote lesser Scorsese movies, but uh, I didn't know it was on Amazon prime. So yeah, I will definitely watch it. It is sounds like it is right up my alley. Yeah, man, it's crazy. And I mean, when we talk about Paul Schrader, the dude wrote raging bull, 
taxi driver. We've talked about him before, but I mean, he's a beast. He wrote First Reformed. So, I mean, it's very clear. You'll be able to tell early on, like, okay, yeah, I recognize this style. I mean, great so, writer and great filmmaker in his own right. I mean, American Gigolo, I think, is great, man. That Richard. Oh, Gere fuck classic. yeah. 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 I mean, he did. We, we've talked about First Reformed on here before. I mean, Dog Eat Dog was great. So, I mean, yeah, dude, he's a, he's a very interesting, uh, he's a very interesting guy in general, but I will add dog eat dog was another fun one with uh Nicholas cage. That's a little, uh, nugget, Nicholas cage and Willem Dafoe. And this is a Nicholas cage's crazy phase. This is a 2016 Nick cage where you're going to get all of Nick cage. So Jesus. yeah, that's the full yeah. cage right there. Yeah, dude. I fucking love Nicholas cage. Oh, I do uh, too. He's, he's awesome. I think he's a genius. Yeah, so, I, I really do. I think he's like a, a crazy acting genius. Me too. I think he's completely unhinged, and I think that's what that's wherein that's lies his genius. He's insane, and I love. Have it. you seen Mandy? He is literally insane. Oh yeah, I've seen Mandy. Hit that scene in the bathroom. I wasn't a fan of the movie, but that scene in the bathroom. That is Cage, man. That is like fucking. It's the fucking bees, bitch. That's Cage, <laughs> like. <laughs> So <laughs> what's your favorite Nicolas Cage performance? I think mine is uh face off face off. I, I was very quick to, I, I was very quick to think face off. Then I had to pump the brakes. I would have to say con air is better than face off. Um, um, but, but face off was fun because you get to see two Nick cages. You see bad guy, crazy Nick cage. Then you see I'm a good guy now. Yeah, Nick but cage. the great thing about face off is it has an unhinged uh, Nicholas cage, which is just par for the course, but it also has an almost equally as unhinged Travolta, which is a rare occurrence. Dude, Travolta was fucking crazy in that movie, especially when he got to start being the bad guy. Oh like, man. He was like, I'm going to act, I'm going to mix a little Vega in. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go crazy folks, with this. Folks um, go watch face off. What are you doing? Face off is a fucking classic con air too. I put him in the same ballpark, but I will say if serious, like his, his serious best performance is leaving Las Vegas. I think that is a great movie. Right. Not easy to watch, but a right. great I movie. think adaptation is also, I mean, adaptation, man, is a fucking, I really think it's an acting masterclass. I agree. Adaptation is up there, but in terms of like relatability and like finding something there. I prefer leaving Las Vegas and bringing out the dead, but adaptation playing twins. He was great. And he was so goofy and dramatic and, and, and heartbreaking in some scenes. Like, yeah. So folks, Nicholas cage, come on, what are you doing? Yeah, that was a mini, that was like a mini, uh, second actor spotlight. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Do you have anything to add before we wrap it up? I'm good, man. Everybody's <laughs> what'd you, Sorry, every uh, last week we talked about how every time I throw it to you, you never have anything. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I actually don't have anything. I was just going to say uh, to all our listeners out there, you know, you know what to do. Tell your friends about this podcast um, and uh, stay safe out there, folks. It's uh, it's a crazy world out there, especially if you're listening from uh, the uh, the grand old dame, New York City. It's uh, it's tough out there. So uh, stay safe. I just think this is the writings on the wall. We need to build walls around new york city and shut it down <laughs> like let's just and, and you can literally turn into snake plissken <laughs> actually that's a bad idea so uh, yeah, i should float that to the authorities you should you should just go out to the police station now and be like check <laughs> it out uh, and lay out a plan for him but yeah no seriously uh, i agree with jacob be safe out there be smart wash your hands etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh maybe we'll all get through this and and, and uh, movie theaters will survive people they will hashtag 
uh, how do hashtag, hashtag survive movie theaters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, crashed on that. Okay, guys, let us know what you uh, let us know what you think about theaters. Love them, hate them. Do you give a shit if they disappear? Do you like watching movies on your phone like a fucking Neanderthal? Like any of that. So just let us know. Anyway, guys, uh, like Jacob said, uh, subscribe, like, tell your friends, follow us on Instagram. Uh, still getting some good messages on Instagram. I noticed our quarantine episodes getting some good numbers, but don't forget to check out our Kubrick episode. We really enjoyed that one. We had a lot of fun doing it and Kubrick deserves it. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I do have something to add. I do have something to add. All you little motherfuckers out there who are listening to our quarantine episode, you're listening to the Hitchcock episode, you're listening to the Best Westerns episode, listen to our fucking Essential Art House episode. What is wrong with you people? Yeah, you you listen to that Art House episode. Um, <laughs> no, no, that one too. Uh, that one's our newest one from, uh, actually, no, it's not the uh, Raimi's our newest one. Wow. I'm getting off track here. Listen to all of Listen them. Listen to all of them twice. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really what we're getting at. We can't just go through every episode and say, listen to him. I think you name like five. All right. Let's uh, wrap this thing up. Yeah. Anyway, uh, listen to the episodes. You're in quarantine. What the fuck else are you going to do? Put some headphones on, listen to it and uh, let us know. Uh, any thoughts? Uh, like we said, we're trying to build a community here. I think uh, coming together for our mutual love of movie theaters could really help propel that. So uh, hit us up on Instagram. Let's uh, let's talk about it and share the heartbreak. But they will survive. Remember that. So thank you for stopping by the Silver Screen video. Welcome to Silver Screen Video. My name is Jacob. I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan. What's up, John? What up, what up, what up, movie lovers? <laughs> oh, my God. It's so, not- much, it's so much worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> that, uh, how uh, bad did you think it was going to be? I thought it was going to be bad, but I didn't know that. That was a that so, was a Polly Shore from Son in Law situation. Dude, right I there. love Polly Shore and I love Son in Law. All right, folks, welcome to Silver Screen Video. As you whoa, can tell, whoa, there's no all right, folks. We're cutting this shit out. Let's start over. What oh, the are fuck? We- <laughs> are you insane? <laughs> <laughs>